Dr. Robin Axelrod. On my drive to work one morning, I thought, how could I promote unity between OT and OTA students? How could I foster communication and leadership skills and promote our amazing profession? Welcome to my OT Journey podcast. Have you seen the 2021 My OT Journey Planner? This is Dr. Robin Axelrod. This planner is a must for OT students and practitioners. Check it out at myotjourney.com. Hello and good morning to everyone that is listening. My name is Maddie List. I'm a first year student in the OT program at Iona College in New Rochelle, New York. This morning, I'm here with Dr. Michelle Morgante and my fellow first year classmate, Taylor Alvarez. We are going to be discussing the topic of ADA and a project that Iona College has started called Mission Accessible, which will allow us to be more compliant on campus. Um, just to um, with a couple of questions. Um, Michelle, we wanted to ask you, why did you choose occupational therapy as a career? You know, it took me a second to think about that because it's been a little while. Um, so I've been working in healthcare my whole life. At 14, I started working in a dental office doing oral surgery, um, which probably wouldn't happen these days. But, um, and it seemed like I, at the time, I was working around all these girls that were kind of my age, a little bit older, and they, all seem to be going into OT. One of the doctor's wives was an occupational therapist. Um, so I started to ask a bit of questions and I always was very interested in working with people and it kind of was a very natural thing for me at a very young age. So I started to talk to these other girls that I worked with, they were a little bit older um, and asked them about their coursework, what they were doing, why they were, chose OT. Um, and then I went to actually observe the doctor's wife who was an occupational therapist. And at the time she was working in a pediatric SI clinic so I was hooked from there because it was amazing and so much fun and I love the kids. Um, so it kind of incorporated everything that I was interested in, fun, kids, working with people. Um, so I, I started to explore it and it's funny because then later on, so that was like starting at 14. So then by the time I was graduating high school, going to college and trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. You know, they give you all of those personality question questionnaires like the Myers-Briggs and they try and figure out what matches, what jobs or what kind of coursework would line up with your personality or your interests and OT popped up. So I was like, okay, that's it. So I'm going to do OT. So it, it kind of like, I almost feel like I've always been on the track of OT which um, doesn't always happen, but that's kind of the way it happened for me. And I think that's just the way my brain works. So it kind of is a good fit. Well, that was a very interesting way that you were you know, brought into the field and we're glad to hear it now. I heard you talk about children. So we were, one of our questions today for you was what um, specialties have you worked in as an occupational therapist? So it's funny, I knew I always wanted to work with kids, um, but I started out working in adult rehab. Um, at a rehabilitation center for physical disabilities. And I found that I really loved working in the rehab center. I worked there for about four years and I liked it much more than I thought I would. And I have to say one of my favorite population of patients to work with were the people who had had, had amputations because they were so innovative and creative and they would adapt anything. And I really you know, they taught me what they needed. And I kind of got to follow their little bit, little bit and saw how they were so resilient and able to adapt things. So that kind of really got me interested in the population when I was working in adult rehab. 
when I got married and then I was thinking about having kids, I moved into pediatrics. I had always worked in pediatrics. Even when I was doing adult rehab, I was doing evaluations and working with preschoolers um, on the side kind of thing. So uh, I always knew that that's where I wanted to go. And I started to work in pediatrics and I haven't turned back. So for the bulk of my career, I've been working with kids, um, mostly with developmental disabilities, autism spectrum disorder, um, things of that sort. So I love a sensory gym. I worked in school systems my bulk of my career as well with kids with significant, significant you know, developmental disabilities. Okay, so kind of transitioning now into the whole mission accessibility um, project that we did. So part of why this came up was because you received a grant through the Heinz Institute at Iona College. So what made you interested in and begin to look into these grants that the Heinz Institute kind of offered? So the Heinz Institute is an, is an institute for entrepreneurship and innovation. And we have a collaboration with them at Iona College. The OT program, we embed in... Um, you know, modules for entrepreneurship and trying to teach our students from very early on about entrepreneurship, because I think at the heart of a lot of OTs or occupational therapy practitioners all over the place is entrepreneurship. We're always creating things. We're always thinking about ways to adapt. It's kind of what it goes hand in hand with what OT really is. So trying to, I myself learning the framework of entrepreneurship, even though OTs are, are very entrepreneurial driven, um, we don't think of it, I think, in the same way as a businessman would or somebody starting a new business. So I think one of the things that kind of got me interested, this partnership and learning more about the structure of, of entrepreneurship and how they go about building businesses or, or developing ideas or being innovative. It's not always about building a business, um, but just being innovative and coming up with creative solutions. It kind of really goes together with OT, like I said, but it made me think about like, okay, so colleges, so we're in a college and I see all these students going around, you know, before COVID when there was actually students on campus, um, there was a bunch of students that you could see were in pretty significant wheelchairs, motorized wheelchairs, um, and, you know, had physical disabilities of other sorts where they were ambulatory, but maybe shorter in stature or had some difficulty moving around and weren't moving as quickly. And we, we have a pretty small campus. It's not a huge campus, but it's pretty hilly. Um, there's some, you know, structural challenges I can imagine for these students that have all these limitations or have this equipment that they have to manage, right? So in going to some of the Heinz, the, um, lectures at Heinz and some of the activities that they have at Heinz, these students would show up in their motorized wheelchairs and getting to talk to them and asking them about their experiences on campus, they were having trouble. And some of them were like, I can't get from, you know, my 10 o'clock class to my 1130 class in 10 minutes because I have to figure out which um, doorway is accessible, what doorway I can get through, let alone having an automated door opening. Um, you know, and then figuring out where to go, which, you know, just how to manage campus. And it got me thinking and I was like, oh, well, you know, all these colleges, every college, every business, every public, you know, place, they're supposed to be ADA compliant. And I know that, you know, there's a significant amount of attention that's given towards any building or any, any college campus, any, you know, business to be compliant. Um, and you can definitely see that they've made efforts to be compliant. But I think that they don't know necessarily because we're able-bodied, we can move around and it takes you know, some experience and understanding and great empathy to get into the shoes of somebody who has a disability and trying to navigate 
the places that we go very naturally and don't even think about. So what I thought about with mission accessibility was um, that I would try and really from right off the bat, first semester, first year, first semester, I had my students getting in wheelchairs. So my grant was, um, I got money to, to get some wheelchairs and to get some GoPro cameras. And I had the students, you know, go out on campus, kind of like a scavenger hunt. Like, okay, here, you're gonna go to the library, see what happens. You're gonna go to the cafeteria. You're gonna go, you know, uh, I, there was a couple of different cafeterias. There's the Starbucks on campus. And I was like, go see what happens. Um, and it was really interesting. So I had students in groups, some of them were holding the GoPro cameras, somebody was in a wheelchair. And the only, you know, guidelines that I kind of gave them was you have to take video, you have to go where I told you, and keep notes, and you have to take turns in the wheelchair, because I didn't want just one student in the group of three, say, to just have the experience, right. So, um, so we all went out when we were able to be on campus, this was before COVID. And I, I think initially, as soon as they got out of the door, they were like, where do I go? They're used to taking the steps in our building that we had the wheelchairs in that we were having class, there's a huge staircase. And they all looked at me and I was like, find the elevator. Like, there's an elevator here. I wouldn't have put you in your wheelchair without, you know, figuring it out. There's also another way out, you know, if the elevator was busy or not working. But um, so I think right away, right as soon as they left the doorway, all the students were like, oh my goodness, this is not going to be an easy task. And they spent over an hour out on campus navigating places that they go all the time. They came back on fire. It was so interesting. They were so um, interested now in how people are getting along, how people are going about campus. They were really motivated to figure out how they can help. Um, you know, I even had students so far as they were like, I used to take the elevator. I used to take the elevator to class. I will not take an elevator ever again because there's no, I have no business in an elevator. And they were getting a little upset with other able-bodied people taking elevators where they were like, you can walk. I was like, guys, you don't know what people are going through. <laughs> like maybe they have a hurt leg and they can't walk up the steps that day. So we had to talk about how to tone it down and not be so enraged because sometimes they were getting a little out of control with just because they were so inspired. Um, by how difficult it was to really navigate places where they can easily go to. Um, and what wound up happening was I had them do this, a, a, they, they did it more than once. We, we went out on campus more than one time and we came up with, you know, what were the top couple of things that were troublesome um, and what gave people the most trouble? What were you surprised by? Um, because while all colleges make accommodations and they do the best that they can, you know, making accommodations and making a building accessible to everybody is really difficult. It's, in, it's individual to each person. So, um, <clears throat> you know, having the money through Heinz and having the students go with their GoPros and figuring out, they were able to really get a bird's eye perspective and put themselves really in the, in the position of somebody with a disability and um, come up with some really unique ideas or thoughts about how they can make, you know, accessibility a, a more of a topic of conversation on campus. I think it was, was kind of where we started. We weren't at the point of making change. Um, and thank goodness, thanks to COVID, we couldn't do anything further yet with that. Everything's kind of been put on hold. But I think, you know, what wound up happening was they have this great empathy now and they wanted to give people with a disability um, on campus a voice where maybe they didn't have it before or make people more aware of, you know, the issues that could come about if you had 
some kind of limitation. I think it's definitely interesting because as a first year, I didn't get to experience the wheelchairs yet at least. Um, but even just some of the doors are heavy and I'll open them and be like, wow, that was a heavy door, but I don't actually realize what that means for someone like with a disability and how it could literally be impossible for them to not open the door and get to class. So I'm, I personally am really excited about this whole project and hopefully we'll be able to get to it once COVID and everything is safer back in the, in the, in the world. Um, so you kind of got, you touched on the process of mission accessibility as well, but is there anything else kind of that you want to add in about the process or I think you, you know, did a pretty good job. One of the things learning myself, learning about the structure and, um, way that entrepreneurs go about developing businesses or developing their ideas, their, their creative solutions to problems, um, really enabled me to kind of put a structure, OTs, like I said, we do this. This is what we do. It wasn't news. This is not anything new. I didn't do anything like outrageous. Um, but what I did do was I used some of the structure. So I used the concept of design thinking. There's five steps to design thinking. And you know, one of the first things that they talk about with entrepreneurial thinking or um, human-centered design, which is designing for people, doesn't have to be people with disability, anybody, but keeping in mind the person that you're designing for. So um, using the structure and having the first step was, was, you know, building empathy. And I think, you know, mission accessibility was really about the initial step was really about building empathy and having the students really empathize with people in, in wheelchairs or who had difficulties managing navigating campus. Um, and then this, the next step would, we came up with some creative solutions. We tried to come up with you know, creative solutions. So in class, we did all these creative activities where there was music, we're walking around, we're trying to think, you know, get out of the box of, okay, we have to build a ramp. Like, okay, we can't build a ramp to the second floor of the library because that would be dangerous and probably more harmful than beneficial. Um, so how do we come up with, you know, another solution? And honestly, I was stuck. So I was able, because I had done some research and learned from Heinz, you know, the entrepreneur, uh, ship ideas that, you know, let's get a little creative. And I tried to do some activities, classroom activities to get students a little bit more creative and thinking out of the box. And one of the students who was very um, insecure about talking up because she thought it was silly. Cause one of the things they talk about when you're trying to come up with creative solutions is, you know, say everything. doesn't matter if it's silly or not because you never know what is going to come out of it. So she was like, how about a slide? She said it really quietly. How about a slide? I was like, what did you say? She was like, how about a slide? I was like, tell me more. So in a large group, we started to talk about instead of a ramp, using a slide to come out of the second floor of the library in case of an emergency, if you were in a wheelchair. And you know, not to say that we went and built a slide, we did not go and build a slide, but we talked it through and how would that work? And what, what made you think, think that? And the way it kind of works is if you talk about it, and this I learned all through, you know, the lectures that I went to at Heinz, the research that I've been doing about design thinking and, and the entrepreneurial mindset is once people start talking about it, so you have an idea and I hear about it because we're talking about it and then I add to it and then somebody else adds to it and somebody else adds to it and it develops into this creative, you know, thought that none of us would have had on our own, but now we've incorporated everybody's ideas. And we talked it through. So for about 20 minutes, we sat there and talked about a slide. Like, could a slide work? Like, how would that work? And we did not go and look at the zoning board and all that kind of stuff, all the legal stuff that has to go through. But I wanted them to really talk through the solution and think about like, 
that might be a solution. I have no idea. We would need engineers and people that know about that to help us, obviously. But why? What what could that do? Like, why would that be beneficial? And we talked about, so if you, you were on the second floor and there was a, a fire in the library and you couldn't use the, the elevator, maybe you could go down the slide because the steps wouldn't work because there was a second door, a, an emergency exit that had steps and that wouldn't work, right? So we talked about how you would have to throw yourself out of the wheelchair and slide down the slide down the the inflatable slide and it kind of was it started out silly but they really started to get to the meat of what was going on and I think that without getting in the wheelchairs and without really going up to the second floor of the library and opening up the emergency door and seeing what was there and if they were really you know disabled or unable to stand up or get out of their wheelchair what would they have done so I really think that the whole mission accessibility part of it and having them really empathize and get in the wheelchairs made it such a different experience for them. And I, that was the whole purpose of going for the grant and trying to get money so that we could put them in wheelchairs and get them the GoPro cameras. And I have videos and it's just amazing to see kind of what came out of it. Did we build a ramp? No, we didn't build, we didn't build a slide, but we came up with these ideas and doing that in the first semester really had the, the students thinking that way throughout. So now those students are going into their final semester and we're going into, I'm teaching adolescence, <clears throat> a course in adolescence this spring semester. And that's what we're gonna be talking about. So we're gonna be using these same concepts and they've already had that experience. So when we talk about college students and transitioning to college for somebody with a physical or intellectual disability, and they have to think about accommodations or think about how they would transition somebody um, or provide you know, community resources or any kind of resource for somebody with a disability who's trying to go to college, they will have a very different perspective than if they just read it in a book, right? So that was the whole purpose of mission accessibility. And I think that it kind of really gave them a great experience. I'm excited by it and I'm excited that they're there. And I'm hoping that the first year students, Maddie and Taylor, I hope that we get to do it soon <laughs> once we're back on campus. I agree. <laughs> yeah, I definitely hope so too. I think it's key for anyone, even just someone trying to build a ramp for someone in a wheelchair to almost put themselves in the wheelchair and see, because you really truly can't understand it until you've done it. Even if you're the best engineer in New York, it's it's a different experience when you're actually in the wheelchair. So yeah, one of the things I, I know we're getting close on time, maybe, but one of the things that was so interesting because coming out of the building, you guys both know the building that we're in, and going out of the main entrance towards campus, there's a hill. It doesn't seem like a large hill when you're walking in it, but the students were in the wheelchair and they were like, Oh my lord, what's happening? Like they were I they were petrified. And I was like, I like I didn't know they were laughing but I was like okay guys take a deep breath like think about what would happen if that was your only means and nobody was around to help you like what would you do and let alone getting down how do you get up that in a wheelchair that's not motorized you know and they got stuck on the curb even though it was a curb curb cut there was uneven floor they couldn't get out so the curb was uneven and literally 15 minutes they were sweating I was like yeah you're sweating but you yeah. can stand up. So think about it. Like, let's think about it. How do we fix this? Right. It was really interesting. So even with um, the pandemic and everything kind of going virtual, have you been able to still incorporate this into your courses? You know, we we revisited. So we did it in the first semester. We, we touched on it in the second semester. I built upon it in the second semester. 
uh, where we really problem solve some deeper kind of thoughts about what we were going to do. We chose different um, issues that they ran into, different problems that they came up with um, and kind of broke those down. And we did some more activities in the second semester. Um, we haven't been able to go back on campus in that capacity just because things have been limited. We've been on campus, but not to that extent and being able to freely go anywhere at any time. But we are going into this spring semester and I have the adolescent course. And my hope is that we're gonna be able to kind of address not only the physical limitations um, from somebody with a physical disability, but also intellectual disabilities and how do you make things accessible um, for somebody with intellectual disabilities because it's, it's the same thing, right? So if I have physical limitations and I can't get into a building, we need to make physical accommodations. If I have intellectual disabilities or I have hearing loss or visual um, disruptances, then I have to, people have to make things accessible for me so that I can access the same material as anybody else. So in the course that I'm gonna be teaching this semester, we're gonna to touch upon it again and come back to it. And I'm hoping that um, next year, when things are more normal, maybe a community development project. I have some ideas for another, I was gonna apply for another Heinz grant this year to build upon mission accessibility in 2020. But with all the limitations on campus and wanting to do physical things, it kind of was you know, not really feasible. So I'm hoping that in 2021, I have some ideas of how to build on it and I can apply for another grant and have the students that'll be in their second, second year kind of jump on board and do some community development projects with that as well. Okay. So those are kind of the next steps is to just keep building on this foundation of mission accessibility. Yeah, and I think that, you know, all colleges have um, really devoted a lot of money, time and effort and thought into making things accessible. And I think that they're open to a lot of input from different you know, people that have a voice, right? So they wanna make things more accessible and they're looking for people that will help them do that. So, um, you know, the college has been really receptive and interested in making things accessible. So whatever our students can do to kind of help them or give them a perspective that maybe they hadn't thought of, um, I think would be great. So by doing another, you know, grant and having more money and having people have, you know, a greater idea of what's going on on campus and how things can be changed and what kind of ideas our students came up with. Not that they'll maybe use them, but they might, they might get somewhere with it. So I think that, you know, colleges will be really receptive and, you know, our college for sure has been um, receptive to just ideas about how to make things more accessible. Even, like I said, not only physically, but technology and educational material and all that kind of stuff. And OTs really have a unique perspective and a lot of information to provide you know, with our background um, uh, to give some really, you know, useful input on that. So I think our students could be really helpful. So I'm going to continue once we're able. Okay. Very I'm cool. honestly really excited about it too. Like I feel like, um, especially with like the break and like us wondering like what's going to happen next semester, kind of like hearing like the background of like why the things that are being done at Iona are happening kind of just make me personally more excited. And I'm sure Maddie can attest to the same thing. Um, just because I have, a, I'm a little short on time. I'm just going to ask you one last question from my end. What are two things um, that you would change about college campuses in general to make them more ADA compliant? You know, I think that it's it's such a hard thing to answer because making things compliant, you can't make one change that will accommodate everybody, right? So I think that if anything should change or could change or be improved, it would be their ability to hear 
the voices of the people who need accessibility. So being able to listen to the students, and I know that there are there are ways of doing that. Colleges do do that, you know. And I think that um, just giving a voice to the students who need accessibility, or whoever it is, whether it be a faculty member or a student, um, you know, I think that it's a very each situation is very unique, and colleges are listening um, and doing whatever they can. So I think that you know just making it maybe giving the perspective, giving people a perspective that, you know, not everybody has as easy a time getting around as you do, or accessibility to materials, whether it be physical or educational materials or reading materials or technology. Um, so improving awareness, I think, is probably the best thing and making as many changes as you can. Again, it's individual to each person's needs. So I think the voice is kind of where to start and giving people an opportunity to, you know, provide input. So then kind of going off of that, do you think that the United States will ever see a time where like there's a full ADA compliance or just because of like natural barriers of like hills and uneven ground, like it's it's going to kind of be an, an impossible task? Well, I think that I think that there's been so much progress made and I think that, you know, again, with people's voices being heard and and there being a, an avenue for people to um, re request accommodations, which there are, you know, there's built into the ADA, there's ways to request and notify people. And um, there's college campuses have, you know, whole um, structures built in for people with disabilities that they can ask for accommodations. And whether it be, you know, it might not be that every building is fully accessible to the same extent, but making accommodations. So if somebody with a disability has is scheduled for a class on the second floor of a building that doesn't have an elevator and they need an elevator, thinking about moving that class either to the first floor or to a different building that has an elevator, those are all accommodations. So it's not that physically they have to change every single building, but making them as accessible as possible. And I think that, you know, as long as, you know, under the ADA, <clears throat> the Americans with Disability Act, um, all new buildings, <clears throat> excuse me, new structures will be much more accessible. It's harder to um, adapt older buildings, um, but making those accommodations, whether it be if they can't do it physically, changing the building, then you know, accommodating and moving things around so that people have more accessibility. So again, just increasing awareness um, and perspective, giving people the perspective of somebody with a disability and how they are able to access, I think is, um, the best thing that we can do, I don't know that we'll ever have everything fully accessible because I think that means different things to different people. Right. Yeah. I mean, that would make sense. And I think that you're correct. Like the older buildings are harder to kind of adapt to, but that also is like the beauty of like this country is older buildings, new buildings. Um, but I think we've come so far, but there definitely is still work to still be done. Absolutely. And I think, you know, thank goodness people are aware now and looking to help. It hasn't always been that way. It's evolved. It's been an evolutionary process. Um, so I think we're in a good place for making a lot of changes or making um, things as accessible as possible, for sure. I agree. And I think that especially with like new outlets, especially with like the virtual technology and having social media, a lot more voices are being heard. Um, and I just hope that with everything going on that we'll just keep progressing. Um, we wanted to take time today to say thank you, Michelle, for giving us your insight and asking, answering these questions for us. I feel like, especially for me um, and Maddie hearing this first, uh, we were 
we feel like we have a lot more perspective. I feel like hearing the stories about what the first years did um, personally will motivate us to just, you know, keep doing better moving forward. And we also want to thank anybody who's listening to this podcast for um, listening. And we hope that after hearing this, maybe it'll inspire someone to make a change, whether it's something small, like helping people, just even opening the door for someone or, you know, maybe coming up with ideas to kind of help make the world more accessible for everyone. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Morgante. Thank you, guys. I'm excited for you guys to continue with Mission Accessibility. Yes. We are. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Thank you to the student contributors. If you liked it, please subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google. You can also follow us on social media, on Facebook at MyOTJourney, and on Instagram at MyOTJourneyPodcast. Thanks for listening. Go OT!